Connect Disruptive Dialogues on the Future of Religion. We're happy to welcome Mark Jordan to the show today, and Troy will be doing the interview with him. Mark Jordan is currently a chaplain. He's a retired master sergeant with the U.S. Army, and he did his undergraduate work at Liberty University in Virginia with a major in religion. And he followed that on with a graduate degree at DTS in Christian Leadership. Mark will also be starting his own podcast on social issues entitled Unmuted with Mark Jordan, and he's hoping to launch that at the end of September 2020. Troy and I have been friends with Mark for a number of years now, and we really respect and appreciate his views on race and religion, especially when it comes to the church. And among the wonderful times we've had together, there have been lots of conversations on issues of the church today. So today we want to give him a chance to talk through some of the answers to some tough questions that um, I know go deep into his heart. We want to help our listeners gain a better understanding of just how deep and these topics are, especially racism and the church. So welcome, Mark. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's, let's dive into maybe the spiritual side uh, of things first with this question. What do you think, Mark, uh, God's heart truly is uh, regarding race reconciliation? You know, uh, again, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I think God's heart towards reconciliation is best demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Hmm. If, if there is ever a time where we say, okay, how does God uh, do this? What would God, uh, how does he think about this? It's demonstrated best by, by Jesus. I preached a message um, about uh, the book about Ephesians, um, really focusing on the second chapter. Uh, and I'll read this. It says, Now in Christ Jesus, who you who were form- formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So when you when you look at that, you can see God demonstrated this wall being torn down. And so God's heart is directly related to the sacrificial act through Jesus Christ. But not only that, through this wall being broken down where we have access to God through our relationship with one another. So, so God's heart for reconciliation is sown all through the scripture, is sown through the life of Jesus, and it also should be demonstrated in our actions as believers. So thinking about the church, uh, what do you feel has been uh, the church's response to justice issues, maybe in general? I, I think in general, the way I would answer that is we outsource God. And when I say that, I mean the church, we sneak Bibles into foreign countries to promote God's love. We look to those who are marginalized. We have evangelistic evangelistic strategies for promoting the gospel in war-torn countries, except for the United States. Hmm. And so I, I, I really began to wonder why is the church so silent when it comes to issues of of justice there is an overwhelming there's 98 percent of pastors who believe churches play an important role in race racial reconciliation and justice yet only have say 
that it's among their top 10 priorities. Mm. So why is there a disconnect? It's because pastors are aware of the problem, but they're not informed about their participation in the solution. Mm. And this information was by um, by the Barnard Group. And so Barnard Group is a private, nonpartisan, uh, for-profit organization that deals with issues of social, uh, of a social construct. And they have come to find out that a lot of these pastors aren't even making this a, a reason to preach. They're not making this a priority in their preaching. And so I think that we, we've, I think we're, we're silent on a lot of this. Okay. From my own experience, when I first retired in 2013, uh, I would go to different churches in the Austin and Round Rock area, and I would say, hey, I'd like to talk to you, have a conversation about diversity, have a conversation about some things that are important. And a lot of those pastors, they showed me the other side of the door. Hmm. And so I think a lot of pastors just don't want to get involved. Hmm. And so I have a thought about that, but uh, I think a lot of them just don't want to get involved. So then what what should the organized church be doing on the issue of race or or diversity? or Or how does this differ even from how race intersects with religion? You know, when I, when I hear religion, I think about a set of rules. Hmm. Religion pretty much dictate the rules. And, and that's okay in and of itself. But when you look at religion as a way that people respond to God, then if we were to go there and use that as our construct, most religions can agree treating your neighbor correctly, treating your neighbor right. Most religions can agree to feed the hungry. So when it comes to someone saying, oh no, my religion, man, we, 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 don't, we, we don't have those who are in need. I, I, I would question your religion. I, you know, like you, like you mentioned earlier, um, my undergrad, I have a, a bachelor's in religion, but I've never seen anyone say, there's a religion out there that don't believe in feeding the hungry, that don't believe in helping those who are sick, that don't believe in helping the marginalized. So I think about I think about that as far as what the church can do. I think about the paralytic man in the book of Matthew. Uh, here's a scripture in Matthew 9 and 2. It says, And they brought him to a paralytic man on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if you really think about it, here are four men that brought a paralyzed man, brought a man to Jesus, and for forgetting everything else, forgetting about themselves, they brought this man to the help that he needed. Now, Jesus said, seeing their faith, he didn't see the faith of the man. He saw their faith. Mm-hmm. And so what is it that the church can do? When the church works through a construct of love uh, where we're helping one another, we're forgetting our, our religious idiosyncrasies, setting those things aside and giving the people what they need, that is the key to demonstrating how we are reconciled back to God because that's ultimately what the, the, the game winner is, what the game changer we as a church have to demonstrate our relationship to God, that we are reconciled back to God. And if we're not demonstrating that, 
that I think there's a term that can say our religion is in vain. So you are pretty active uh, when it comes to social media. And I was looking at one of your recent Facebook posts, and, and you mentioned that the church has remained silent for far too long on the issues that really matter. And you list seven different areas of concern, topics from white supremacy, Confederate flags, leader corruption, wage inequality, police brutality. Do you think that cultural influence is at play here, you know, as to why the church has remained silent on these issues? Or, or is there maybe a bigger problem that could be addressed? I, I think culture is there. I think we are influenced by culture. When I hear this question, I, I think about I think about Jesus when they get him mixed up in a bunch of questions, and they were talking about taxes and who who, who they should pay and all of that. And and Jesus he he flipped the script and he said, "Man, whose face is on that money?" And they said, "Well, Caesar." And and Jesus said, "Well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's." And render unto God what is God's. So if you if you look at that, as far as what the culture was believing, what the culture was doing as it related to taxes and Jews and Roman law, all these different things are, are, are just meshed together. Uh, I, I think it was a matter of, okay, Jesus, how do we respond to these cultural issues that we're facing? And what, what, what Jesus said was, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar. So now I look at that based on your question. I look at our, our Constitution. I look at how um, there are laws written for us as Americans on what we should do. And, and I, I think the term is these are inalienable rights for the pursuit of life, love, and, and pursuit, the pursuit of happiness. Think about that. Every man is endowed from his creator to be able to pursue what? Life, liberty, and happiness. Those are the moral and social constructs of life for every person in the United States of America. And when those things are taken away, where a person is not able to pursue happiness, then able to pursue life, and then able to pursue liberty, then less wonder what are we rendering to Caesar? Because it's, it's in our Constitution. And so think about it that way, that if we are looking at the, the, the moral injustices, a, a baby in a cage, I mean, come on. If we look at that and we say, well, we're rendering unto Caesar, then again, it goes back to our religion is in vain. So how do we render unto God what is God by executing righteousness? By executing what is right, by doing what is right, and these are these are basic things. They're very basic. So yes, the church has remained quiet or silent on a lot of things, and that that to, for, for me that is that is a big that is a big problem. So where do you feel the church, or or maybe church leaders, uh, could make a statement in regards to racism or? or even active proclamations um, for for those who are hurting? Like, what, what could they do? What, what could they say? What could this look like? Think about Jesus' story. Think about 
when we heard that Jesus, an innocent man, died on the cross, think about how he was whipped and beaten. Now, the, the gist of that story, when you hear it, it's like, oh, my God. Like, if you've never heard this story before, you're like, oh, my God. He did that for me. So the, the, the gist of it is Jesus did this out of love. Okay, but, but let's, let's evaluate that a little bit more. An innocent man was killed for what he believed. I, I, I wrote a play, and I've um, produced this play overseas in Germany. I've produced it in Virginia. And most of the time, the audience, when they come back to me after we do the meet and greet, when they come to me, and people who've never heard the story of Jesus before, most of the time, people come back to me and say, I never knew that story. And... I never knew that this innocent man was killed. And it really goes back to the heart of God. It goes back to the heart of Bob, heart of God. And so I think about the, the organized church is very privileged in that they're tax-exempt. Remember we talked about earlier, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. But the church is tax-exempt. Mm -hmm. The church don't, there's a lot of laws that the church does not fall under. So really, the church has the ability to discriminate. It has the ability to marginalize based on their, their policies, based on their theology. They have a lot of leeway on the things they can do. But also, the church has the ability to create an inclusive environment. And so what can the church do? One of the things we can do is recognize that we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors to Christ. And there's, there's two things that I think the church get, get really mixed up, and that is assimilation and accommodation. And so a lot of those churches that I mentioned earlier, when I, when I would go to the churches and say, hey, how do, you, how do you do diversity? What do you think? And they would say, oh, Mark, we're a very diverse church. Look at our numbers. We have blacks, we have whites, we have Hispanics, we have this and that. And, and I would say, well, well, well Pastor, um, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. You do have a, a very mixed congregation. But I would like to say to you that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, created that congregation. Maybe it's the preaching. Maybe it's the choir. I don't know. Maybe it's the whatever. Those are the things that got the people in the seats. But what about the people who are making decisions for those who are in the seats? Let's take a look at those people. And most of the time, Troy, if I was in an African-American church, the executive staff was predominantly African-American. If I was in a white church, the predominant staff is white. So you have one group of people making decisions for a mass of people. And so what can the church do? And, and this is not about assimilation, as I said earlier. And so what happens is those people who are sitting in the seats are kind of pushed in a way to assimilate. And so to assimilate means to integrate somebody into a larger group so that differences are minimized or eliminated. That's assimilation. So a lot of times when we open up the door, we're, we want you to assimilate to what we're doing because the dominant group makes the decisions for the masses. But what I think we should do is go with the model of accommodation, which is to adjust actions in response to somebody's needs. And so when we, when we see that, when we could adjust our actions and, and create an inclusive environment 
where we're speaking the language of those who are affected, those who are in our services, then we have what's called an inclusive environment. Then we could um, work to, to help those who are in need instead of pushing them to assimilate to our, like, so to speak, we've heard this term before, man, just get with the program. <laughs> and, so, and so that's what, I think that's what, what happens a lot. Mark Demise in his book, um, Building a Multi, Multi-Ethnic Church, he says there are seven things we can do. And I, we could talk about this at another time. One is embrace dependence, take intentional steps, empower diverse leaders, develop cross-cultural competence, develop cross-cultural relationships, promote a spirit of inclusion, and then he said mobilize for impact. And he, he mentioned those are seven things that can be done to help create this, these intentional acts for the church. That's what I believe. I, I really do believe that that can happen. But here's the here's the one thing that I that I thought about. Uh, as you said, you know, I, I am a chaplain, and so I have seen people in the worst of times. I've seen people at their most critical moment of their life. I've seen death leave people's body, and I've seen people's response to how this process works. How's this 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 this, this death? And I think what happened when, when people saw Flo- George Floyd's death, those who are not familiar with it saw the breath leave a person's body. Mm-hmm. That resonated so much with people that they, they felt helpless. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do. They actually saw the things that people have been saying they actually saw it firsthand second by second minute by minute how this person's life left his body Hmm. and that in itself left that left us helpless and so I said that to say this until the church feels helpless and feels vulnerable, mm. we will not reach out across the across the aisle. Mm. And we need that sense of helplessness and vulnerability with one another so that we can connect in a way to bring social change. Mm. And I think that's what's needed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's like talking with somebody who has never experienced whatever you're talking about. Like they just don't understand, but as soon as they go through the experience then they can resonate and say, now I understand. Yeah. Now I really understand what you were saying because it didn't make sense to me before because I never experienced it. So exactly. I totally get that. Well, thank you again, Mark. Uh, we do appreciate you spending a little bit of your day with us today. I want to also just uh, re-mention the podcast that you're about to start called Unmuted with Mark Jordan. So our listeners, if they looking for uh, another avenue that's going to touch on this some of these tough topics so we're really grateful to have had the chance to have a conversation with mark jordan and listening to his interview and thinking through many of the challenges that he posed to us several different things came to mind 
Mark first made a really interesting point about the pursuit of life and liberty and happiness and how that's a basic inalienable human right, something we really um, stressed in America and American culture. But the challenge is, is that, you know, while this is often something we say, the reality is we don't actually live that out, especially in the structures and the spaces that we um, build in contemporary church. You know, do we really honor and value our brothers and sisters from different cultural communities, especially the black community? And do we give them spaces to thrive? Another issue he raises is just the, the church's voice being silent uh, historically um, on this issue of race. And th this is for a number of reasons. You know, part of it is that, you know, the, talking about issues of racism and religion in America and the church isn't part of most people's seminary training. It's something that gets talked about tangentially, um, maybe in kind of special topic conversations. So there's a lot of issues that the church basically just overlooks because um, of not just a lack of education, but also many denominations deal with a shameful past related to slavery and choices they have made. And it seems like the church has found it easier to sweep these issues under the carpet than to do the hard work of facing them and kind of really taking stock of kind of how their views and their practices really create animosity or a unevil playing field within religious culture and churches. Another issue that really kind of was provoked for me is just this issue of, Mark talked about, of assimilation versus accommodation. What I really thought about is that, you know, the church historically has functioned under a culture of assimilation. If we think about the contemporary missions movement, um, especially as it started in the late 18th, early 19th century, coming out of Europe, you know, it had a very colonial mindset. The idea was to go to another part of the world and teach them, you know, about Christ, but get them to adopt not just to the the religion, but the culture that the church represented, a Western culture, a European-based culture. And so it was about people to let go of their own traditions, dishonoring, shaking off the past, and embracing the new. But in that idea, it was that call to assimilation basically was a, a very much of a disregard for the kind of unique traditions and histories that they came from and just how they are fearfully and wonderfully made in unique ways by Christ and by God. So this point Mark was making about the need that we don't need assimilation for black churches to adapt to white churches, for blacks to kind of assimilate into the white culture, but we really need churches to recognize that they need to create a, a, a a space of accommodation where not that the outsider changes but the insider and the insider structures it starts by recognizing our own bias it starts by recognizing that inequalities are often built into whether it be church leadership religious education even involvement in the community and where we get involved and how we get involved and by beginning to address and kind of unmask those hidden um, inequities, we can begin to see the, how that uh, the culture needs to accommodate or adapt to the inequities that have been placed there. So I think a bigger conversation really needs to happen between this issue of assimilation and accommodation and what that really means for uh, race and racial injustice in the church today. And finally, I think Mark was asking the church, church leaders and members to be really to be willing to face our discomfort with this issue of you know, race and the church, to um, address our oversights and to you know, really challenge us on our claims of colorblindness that, oh, you know, we have a diverse church or diverse background, but is it um, a diverse background where they've had to adapt to our, our kind of spaces or have we allowed them to bring in their own racial difference and the diversity of that? 
um, we need to kind of see ourselves as not being colorblind, but having um, barriers and structural hierarchies that have kind of created a space of marginalization even within the church. So I think a theology of the margins, which many people have talked about in liberation theology, really needs to become a center stage in the church today to address our structural marginalization that has been created by the church and how we you know, um, create leaders, how we um, uh, do our programming, and how we just kind of even see the communities that we are, are situated in. Instead of creating barriers to entry for our black brothers and sisters, we need to create spaces of equal access and equal treatment that maybe ask us to kind of step down and learn, to step down and listen, um, rather than them having to step up and always adapt. So I'm really grateful to Mark for his thoughts and his thought-provoking ideas that I know I'm going to chew on for a while. And we thank you so much for tuning in to Disruptive Dialogues on the Future Religion and hope you tune in back next week for more interesting conversations and challenging ideas.